And now, the starting lineup for Inside Slam. At guard, number 11, from the University of Iowa, standing 4 feet 26 inches, it's the man with the smoothest voice in the commentary box, Mr. Magic, Steve Carfino. And at small forward, number 6, standing, well, sometimes because he prefers to sit, Mr. Stats himself, Evan Goldback. This is Inside Slam. Welcome to Inside Slam. This is Evan Goldback again, self-isolating, coffee in hand, with the main, main man, Steve Carfino. What, what, what is that, Steve? Hand sanitizer. All right. For those, for those not knowing, Steve and I are uh, on a Zoom call, and I thought he was showing me lube, but it was just hand sanitizer. Both probably being used a lot during self-isolation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's just get inappropriate out of the way straight away. But um, Steve, the last dance is finished, so I, I have no idea what I'm going to do on a Monday anymore. Oh my goodness! And we've said it. We're going to repeat ourselves a couple of times. For one, we're going to talk about this is the best documentary I've ever seen. Let's just get that. Let's just get that out of the way. It is done. It is. Yeah. We've said it before. We'll say it again. We'll say it in the future, of course. Um, also, you know that it's going to set a precedence for. You know, when the great ones, you know, like the, all the great players right now, there is going to be a film crew following every one of them around to try and even come close to that documentary. And can you imagine the access they get now when the high D, HD cameras and yeah. oh, it's just going to take it to the next level. I can't, I can't wait for these documentaries to come out. I, I'm like all these great players. I wish, you know, when I hope they did Kobe's last year, LeBron's, like even like, you know Tom Brady if they do his last year or did you know I wish they did Derek Judas last year like guys like that follow Tiger Woods around Roger Federer I mean this is just next level stuff ESPN's just killed it yeah even if they don't follow those people around the, the I mean I was just clocking up the dollars that they spent you know going to these people's homes and you know chasing up Bob Costas chasing up uh, Sam Smith, you know, to do, you know, an interview of, you know, when he wrote his Jordan Rules book. And I mean, they spared absolutely no expense chasing all these people down to get interviews. Um, I, I think the only person that they didn't chase down was probably coming to Australia and do Luke, doing Luke Longley. You know? yeah. uh, he's, Luke's changed his number. See? Yeah. <laughs> he's changed his number. He's had so many requests from obviously. Uh, you know, people wanting to talk to him about the last dance, and ironically, we had him on the show, you know, two or three months ago, and it was weird because I felt that when we spoke to Luke, you know, there was a really good respect with Jordan. You know, he had a couple of good stories, kind of a couple of good anecdotes, and now it seems like the last dance is like him and Jordan didn't like each other, and it's there's obviously a lot of conjecture around that. It's quite interesting. Well, I think it's, you know, it's probably a lot like him and Steve Kerr's relationship, you know, like, I think that they respected one another, you know, and Luke Longley spoke about um, some things that went down where he felt like he got more of Michael Jordan's respect. But, you know, like, there was a real divide between that team, you know, Dennis Rodman not speaking to, you know, to his teammates for practically the whole time that he was there, but the respect that they had for one another, you know, like he was, you know, and when Michael Jordan was saying it, I didn't, I didn't ever ask any of my teammates to do what 
anything that I wouldn't do myself. And then when he's saying that, they're showing him taking first in this line sprint. But who was second? Dennis Rodman. You know, like, um, you know, these guys, they were a unique bunch of guys. But there was definitely a black side of the team and a white side of the team. You know, like if Michael Jordan was like, you can't guard me, you know, you better go try and guard Judd Bushler, you know. Yeah. You can't even guard him or, you know, he didn't have much respect for Steve Kerr. You know, like, don't come on the Chicago Bulls after we've won championships and you can just ride this championship wave. You know, you need to earn it. You know, there was still some venom in his in his voice when he was talking about it. And oh, yeah. 56, 57 years old, you know. Let's so. talk about Steve Kerr for a second because one thing I never knew is obviously the fact that uh, his father died in that obviously tragic um, killing uh, over in Lebanon. I, I had no idea about that. Um, the second of all, Steve Kerr, he looks, he looks like a nice personable guy, yeah. which he is. Mm-hmm. But that guy is tough as nails. He... Yeah. Talk about taking your talent as far as your ability, as your, you know, t- taking, squeezing every bit of talent out of your body. I mean, he's, like you said, he wasn't after high school and nobody looked at me. The girls didn't look at me. You know, he got a late scholarship to, I think it was Arizona, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. um, and this is a guy that, gr- that grinded his way to the NBA mm-hmm. and then ends up hitting huge shots. He's, he's the only player ever to win four NBA championships in a row. So he won the three-peat with the Bulls. Then he won with the Spurs the next year. And then he obviously has that winning record with the Warriors. I mean, it's what a career that Steve Kerr has had. You could make a documentary even about that. Oh, I mean, there's there's probably like at least five spinoffs of this last dance that you could have a documentary on their own, and one of them would be Steve Kerr. But, you know, what's interesting about What's one of the many things that's interesting about Steve Kerr is, um, you know, the fact that he wasn't recruited at a high school other than, you know, one scholarship offered to him by um, Arizona, Lou Olson. And Lou Olson was my college coach, and uh, he left Iowa to go to Arizona. And, you know, he picked up Steve Kerr. He just saw something in him, you know, competitiveness in him, you know, the fact that he could shoot the basketball, the fact that he was so IQ smart when he was out on the floor. Um, he shot over 50% from the three-point line. You know, like wh- one of the things I remember in the, uh, the final four, they played against Oklahoma, which had Ricky Grace and Mookie Blaylock in the back in the backcourt. They had Stacey King. They had uh, – they had um, – they had Grant, um, uh, which Grant was it? They had Harvey Grant, not Horace Grant. They had Harvey, oh, yeah. the, Harvey the, Horace's twin brother. And so he was at, at Oklahoma. This, and this team was loaded, you know. And I remember Steve Kerr hitting a three. And Arizona used to have this chant every time Steve Kerr hit a three. And there were plenty of them because he shot over 50% from outside the three-point line. He'd make it, bang, they'd wait a couple of seconds. And then the whole crowd would go. Steve Kerr. It was was unreal. I love it. (laughs) It was just unbelievable. One of the things um, that um, I know that after Steve Kerr, I don't know, it was, I I know that Steve Kerr played either that night or the next night after his father was killed. He said he didn't know what to do. You know, he saw that in the documentary, but, but Lute Olson, um, who's, you know, I have just great admiration for him. When he was in Arizona, we went out to dinner and he was telling a Steve Kerr story. And he said that 
that they played Arizona and Steve, it had just happened after his dad had been assassinated and they played Arizona, they, sorry, they played Arizona state, which is right. their, obviously their state interstate rival. Um, and Steve Carr's out there playing and goes to the foul line and the crowd at Arizona state starts chanting. How's your dad? No, no. Yes. You're kidding. That's terrible. That is the worst thing I've ever heard a crowd do. That's, that's horrendous. Yeah. But he had like this unbelievable game. And I think he didn't miss a shot that game. Man, that's, 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 that's pretty poor. You're going to be, you know, that's pretty, pretty poor by those guys, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but what I mean, what a strong mental character. And the fact that he, you know, the fact he got Jordan's trust, you know, he hit that shot. I love the fact, how good is it, is that they knew the play was coming. Yeah. Stockton's going to double, which he did. Mm-hmm. And then Kerr's on the three-point line. Then he steps, he, he kind of steps into that shot perfectly at the three-point line. Mm-hmm. And it's just money. And I'm like, I, I, I still love Steve Kerr's speech at the, at the, at the parade. You know, that's, that's my story. I had, to, I had to bail Michael out again. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. And I, I just love that. How about what happened before that? Like what happened during the game? And they have the footage to back all of these stories up, which is fantastic. You yeah. know, so um, Steve's telling the story and he goes, um, you know, Michael's used to the camera being on him. So Michael leans over and tries to say it, you know, quietly. Yeah. You know, like, I'll come to you, you know, if they double team me. And, 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 and oh, said Steve's oh. all excited. and <laughs> He's never really been in this situation before. <laughs> and he goes, I'm ready. I'll, I'll be ready, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh man, it's just funny how we we're at the end of this obviously incredible documentary. I'm gonna obviously, you know, I, I want to. I'm gonna read out uh, 20 names to you. This is these is uh, uh, players that Jordan knocked out of the playoffs in consecutive years. Charles Barkley, Dikembe Mutombo, Vlade Divac. Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, Clyde Drexler, Robert Parrish, Joe Dumas, Gary Payton, Patrick Ewan, Dennis Rodman, Magic Johnson, Jack Sitma, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Reggie Miller, and Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> least- the, fact, the fact that the whole thing that I love about this is that he never thought about going to another team. He never thought about combining up towards the end of his years and going, oh, Maybe me and Carl Malone should should hook up, or me and maybe I should play with Shaq. You know, he's like, I'm playing with, I'm playing my way. I'll get guys into my team that want to come up to the level that I am, and I'm going to take it all the way. And it's there's no more, no, there's no game more personified to show that than Game Six, 1998, against the against the Jazz, Scottie Pippen. The guy was didn't obviously he couldn't do anything all game. I watched I watched the full game a few weeks ago. I totally forgot he wasn't even in the game. Jordan shot more points than his whole other the whole team combined. Dennis Rodman didn't really do much all game. Two coach I think had about fifteen points, but Jordan carried that team. And I think if they go to game seven, I think they're in real trouble. And I, Scotty Pippen might not even have played. And I think uh, the the momentum would have been with the Jazz. But Jordan's like, no, nah, this is my time. And that last 45 seconds where he, it's not just people forget about, he went for that quick layup by Byron Russell, you know, that quick two to get the two for one. And then knowing that Carl Malone is going to be in the post and 
and having the steal. I mean, what a sequence to end your career on. I mean, let's forget about the Wizards. That career, that that season ending, uh, that career ending sequence is it's not going to be beaten. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the same thing about Muhammad Ali. I don't think about Muhammad Ali late in his career when he couldn't give it up. And, you know, like, you know, boxing comebacks are, are never very, hardly ever very good, um, like most comebacks. But especially... Well, Tyson, Tyson looks good on these videos, though. I, I would say yeah, that. I do. I wouldn't want it. There's no amount of money that would get me in the ring with him. Holy shit, man. He looks like he can punch a wall. Oh, man, man. But, I mean, the... Oh, man. Um, Jesus, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Uh, that last sequence, Jordan's career. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about how many people Tiger Woods has denied winning a major. Yeah. It's a similar thing. You know, like these, these, are, these are great players, but it's also indicative of the 90s. You know, like I'm not a real big fan of guys getting together and forming these super teams. Yeah. Um, I liked the days where the general managers, you know, like tried to build something from the ground up, you know, tried to do something with their, their draft picks and trades and free agency and things like that. You know, there wasn't any kind of preconceived plan of, you know, let's get together and form a super team, um, you know, because Reggie Miller is, wasn't he a great competitor, you know, like, and he, he was with, you know, the Indiana Pacers, that was his team. That was his you know, dynasty that he was trying to build, um, you know, because he felt that that program gave him a chance because the whole state of Indiana wanted Steve Alford, who, you know, who had won a national championship at Indiana yep. uh, that, you know, the previous year. And, you know, he was the Indiana um, Mr. Basketball in high school. And so everybody in the state wanted the Pacers to draft him because they were, they needed a shooting guard. Mm. So Reggie Miller, they even booed at the, um, NBA draft. Really? Yeah. And so Reggie came in and, you know, you know how Reggie Miller is. He was going to prove everybody wrong. But how, how, how does Reggie Miller look the same the day he got drafted now? Oh, I know. He looks fantastic, doesn't he? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. He looks fantastic. And, you know, we we're talking about, you know, um, this, this, this series. And how about when Reggie Miller says, you know, at game seven, you can just throw anything, any scouting reports, anything out. And how about the description? You know, he was like, you know, to, they, they knew that we were, we knew that they were going to switch, you know, so Michael Jordan's sitting up there waiting for him. And he goes, you know, I thought that they wouldn't call a foul on the last play, you know, so he just shoves him out of the way. Oh, he fully <laughs> shoves him out of the way. But what about the fact, and I couldn't believe it, and I totally forgot about this. I mean, how, how great that Indiana Pacers series was anyway. Imagine that double clutch shot that Jordan with 0.7 seconds went in and it almost went in. Yeah. And it, it, it literally went in and out. And I was like, that would have been the greatest shot in history. Oh, yeah. I mean. And the look at Larry Bird's face, like the whole crowd's going crazy. And Larry Bird's just stoic because he knows there's 0.7 seconds left. <laughs> He's like, I'm not happy yet. And that connection that they had after the game. Like uh, Jordan is like, oh, you bitch, man, f you. Like, like that, that great, obviously respect that they had. But I forgot how good that Indiana team was, man. Yet I forgot Chris Mullen was on that team, even though he's at the tail end of his career. That guy could play, Mark Jackson, Rick Smith, the Davis brothers. I mean, come on. 
Oh, I know. They were absolutely loaded. And Michael Jordan was like, this team gives us trouble. They really give us trouble, you know, like in Reggie Mills, like we, I still to this day think that we were the better team, you know, and, 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 and it, how clutch was he? He was just knocking down shots or showing Phil Jackson, like, oh, Michael Jordan going, oh, you know, he's just taking the wind out of there. So he could just really light it up. That was an extremely tough team. Yeah. And yeah, it was just one of those things where, um, this this last dance documentary just shows us, you know, people just say, oh, you know, Bulls won six championships, like it's a throwaway line. Oh, but the this this documentary shows that there were such emotional highs and lows and stories within all of these six championships. Dennis Rodman going to Vegas and having a vacation. Dennis Rodman missing practice and going to WWF, you know, Rodzilla, Rodzilla. Oh, yeah, I mean, all of these stories within stories, you know, Steve Kerr getting punched in the face by Michael Jordan, like all of these inside stories to these six championships. And, um, you know, the whole time they're holding it together, the general manager doesn't want the coach there. The coach is 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 coaching under um, under a general manager that says, I don't care if you win 82 straight, you're not coming back as the coach. Oh. You know, all of these, you know, all of these adversities that are happening, they're still winning. You know, How they did it is beyond me with all those those different pressures coming in, the media circus, you know, Jerry Krause obviously throwing the coach under the bus, exactly like you said. And people think, oh, yeah, it was the Bulls, it was easy. Look, mate, this, that last season, just incredibly hard. And I'm going to say something, and I'm glad Bill Simmons said it. He said it on his podcast, I think, this week. And he said, the reason why Jordan will always be the GOAT is because those last three seasons, he played 82 games, 82 games, 82 games. He didn't miss a game, right? There's no load management. Every game he played to win. Like, and these days, oh, yeah, they're, they're happy to miss 24, 25 games a year just so they're primed for the playoffs. Like, Jordan would never do that. Like, every, like that, can, that will that to, to be to win every single game. And if you, uh, there's no way, there's no way Jordan in a million years would ever succumb to load management. Um, and the only time he did have that load management was when he had a broken leg and he still wanted to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the mentality, I think, that makes him stand out as the GOAT. Um, obviously, you know, this series, I'm sure he's put him in a, in a, in a leading line. And I know there's a, there's comparisons to LeBron. And LeBron is a great player, but I, I just think the mental... Um, toughness and character that Jordan has just it's just next level to me yeah you know and I'm not going to disrespect anybody that you know argues that LeBron's the GOAT you know like if you were to pick one guy um, to build your franchise around um, and no disrespect to Michael but you know LeBron James dominates in every statistical category he can guard one to five you know like He's amazing, you know. So uh, you're, you're saying you, you're saying you'd pick LeBron first over Michael? Oh man, I can. I'm not going to argue with somebody that does, you know. Like I'm going to pick Michael Jordan every single time, but I do respect the 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 argument of LeBron James being the greatest player ever. I think Alex Caruso I'd pick first. I I do respect the opinion of you know Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being. Yeah. Top is, you know, he's scored more points. He has the, he was the, had the most unstoppable shot in NBA history. So I'm, I'm not going to, you know, like completely dismiss dif different people's arguments, but, you know, for the same reason that I, I respect teams of that era more than I do now is because, 
you know, the general manager had to wheel and deal. The general manager had to go out and find the Horace Grants and the Scotty Pippins and, you know, draft them in the first round and mold them together. And you think about all the chances that the Bulls took. You know, they took a chance on Dennis Rodman. I mean, this guy is the biggest fruitcake in the entire league. But, you know, <laughs> Bill Jackson was like, you know what? Not every single player in the NBA doesn't want to be many mediocre. They don't want to be, you know, like not reaching their potential. You know, but if you surround these guys with the opportunity and the, the know-how to win basketball games, they'll step in. Because he wanted Derek Coleman. He was in the conversation, you know, as long as well as Dennis Rodman because they needed a strong rebounder. That's what Horace Grant was saying. He was like, they went and got themselves a rebounder because he knew that that left when he went to Orlando. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say this. And I, I think Dennis Rodman is great, right? And I think he's one of those best defenders all time, top five. But I think that that 95-96 team when they had Dennis Rodman, I think if that 95-96 team has Horace Grant, they're even better, in my opinion. I think Horace Grant was an incredibly underrated player, so good on the offensive end, such a good rebounder. And you can see how much they miss him in that 94-95 season. That guy was perennially underrated, 100%. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think they're pretty damn good when Dennis Rodman got there, you know, and he- Oh, of course, absolutely. All around saying, he's just, he's so good. But I have never, ever seen a 6'8", 220-pound guy guard the Carl Malones and the sure. Shaquille Neals one-on-one with no double coverage. And Horace Crank couldn't do that either, you know. So you're talking about one of the top five defensive players of all time. Now I'm talking. You can throw Bill Russell in there. You can throw Wilt in there, and you still Dennis Rodman comes in the top five. That's that true. Horace Grant is nowhere in that conversation. So I'm saying it. He he did things that went unnoticed as well, and he was one of the rocks of that defensive unit that they had in there and that that defensive team when they had Rodman they had Scottie Pippen they had Michael Jordan and they had um Ron Harper Ron Harper yeah oh my goodness you know uh, you, you could throw Joe Bag of Donuts in with those four and you'd have the best best defensive team that'll ever come out on the floor and so you know like I, I like that team when I when, do like that team yeah. I just I guess it's more the fact that I, I kind of always liked Horace Grant, and I think he's obviously being underrated. And you know, obviously he's never going to be on that level of Dennis Rodman, but you can see what a key piece he was, especially for that first three peak. Um, an interesting thing, obviously, uh, that I kind of want to touch on, and you know, it's it, it kind of brings us an end to the Last Dance, and what an incredible documentary it was, but. I think maybe in the next couple of uh, episodes, we might kind of do a quick run through of the, our top, you know, I might even go watch them all again and get my top 10 moments. But you talk, we, we, we were talking about obviously the best players of all time. And ESPN, I don't know if you saw last week, they announced the top 10 players of all time. Did you see that list? Uh, yeah, pretty sure I got it on Instagram. I'll try and pull it up. So I'm, I'm going to walk you through from, uh, from 10 to 1. So they had Shaq at 10, yeah. Kobe at 9, Duncan at 8, Larry Bird at 7, Will Chamberlain at 6, Magic at 5, Bill Russell 4, Kareem 3, LeBron 2, 
and MJ1. Is there anything that you would change on that? Yeah, I wouldn't have Bill Russell so high. Really? Mm. So they got Bill Russell at four. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't know where I'd put him, but I wouldn't put Bill Russell at four. You know, like he, I mean, he was a great player in his day. Um, you know, and everybody starts talking about, you know, winning championships, you know, and winning championships, you know, he wasn't winning championships like Michael Jordan was a key player in their, you know, championship run. You know, Bill Russell had a good team and he was the defensive cornerstone to it. He ended up being player coach. He's, you know, he's one of the all time greats. But when we're talking about um, the greatest of all time, I just think you need to be more of an offensive presence to be, you know, considered a top five of all time players. Now, everybody just goes crazy about how he won so many championships. But I think, you know, hell, Steve Kerr won, what did he win, four championships in a row? Yeah. Is he So is he considered like one of the greatest of all time? Rob you know? Harry. Is he just considered, oh, he's a winner, you know, just because he's been in the right place at the right time? Is he one of the greatest coaches of all time because he got in the right place at the right time at Golden State Warriors? You know, no disrespect to the man, but, you know, I just don't think that you ought to throw him in there just because he's been fortunate enough to be under the, you know, right circumstances in the right time. You know, that's why I'm saying, you know, people are like, oh, you know, but Michael Jordan won six championships and he was in six NBA finals. So, therefore, he's the GOAT. You know, not – I'm going to say Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time, but I'm not going to say just because of that. You know, LeBron James took some crappy teams to the NBA Finals. Oh, yeah. Are those, that first team with Cleveland was doo-doo. They were garbage. Oh, yeah. Except for him. He just single-handedly carries them there. So he's a great player, and he should be considered in the great. But, you know, ESPN has a very good top ten. And I only have one player that I think is not as high, but I'm not saying he shouldn't be on that list, though. Maybe out of throne somewhere, you know, up where um, Larry Bird is or Tim Duncan, because Tim Duncan's super underrated. Oh, absolutely. So they had Tim Duncan at uh, at eight. Um, so I'm going to give you my I'm going to give you my top ten because I, I know if you if you want to make it a part. You're outdo ESPN. Sorry. You're going to outdo ESPN. I'm going to do I'm going to outdo ESPN. How many people you you think they had work on that team? At ESPN, I would say there would have been a panel of, okay, about a panel of sixty. They, had, they would have had sixty people working on that. That would have been their job for a week. Oh yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, and obviously, I'm forget the panel of sixty. It's all about the panel of one, the goldback power of one. Okay, hey, you, look, you look like you just got out of bed, and you're going to outdo ESPN's. Top what is wrong with this, this stupid camera? It's, it makes me look like I'm 400 years old. Thank God, thank God we're not filming yeah. it. I can see your bed in the background. It's not even made. <laughs> oh, God. I love it. I love it. Um, all right. So this the is, fact that you had to turn around and look. The fact I'm like, do I have a bed in my office? This is quite funny. Oh, I'm actually in my oh, with it. I'm just messing with you, man. Go ahead. All right. So this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Goldback Top 10. Forget ESPN. Here we go. So, and obviously I have a little bit more recency bias, but Shaq doesn't make my top 10. Okay. Shaq's at 11th. Okay. Right. Number 10 for me, Hakeem Elijah one. Okay. 
Number nine, Wilt Chamberlain. Yeah. Number eight. Wait, was Wilt on ESPNs? Yeah, Wilt was on their list. Yeah. They had Wilt at six. So I got Wilt at nine. Yeah. I got Bill Russell at eight. Wait, are we just talking basketball? Because Wilt slept with 20,000 different women. <laughs> We're talking basketball. We're talking basketball. Oh, Steve. Get your mind out of the Unbelievable. All right, so we got Hakeem at 10, Will at 9, Bill Russell at 8. I've got Kobe at 7. I've got Tim Duncan at 6. Four, five and 4 can go either way, okay, because one player said it, each was better than the other. So I've got Bird and Magic at 4 and 5, and you can kind of switch that around. Yeah. 3 is Kareem, 2 is LeBron, number 1 is MJ. Okay. You know, I think that LeBron and Kobe get switched around in some people's minds. Yeah. I don't, argue, I don't argue with that either. You know, Kobe's won five championships and, you know, one of the hardest workers and a student of the game. And That's why I think he's higher. He's higher on my list. He's seven. Yeah. He's, higher, he's, he's seven. And I think uh, Duncan at six, I think that's where he should be. He's uh, incredibly underrated, that player. Yeah. Well, I never fancy myself as, too much as a coach. You know, I'm smart enough to – I know enough about coaching to, to know that I'm not a coach, you know, to think like that, to be a problem solver. But I tell you what, you give me any of those guys, I could probably win. I said probably too. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Goldback Top 10. If you uh, want to argue with me, make sure you go to our Instagram. But uh, Steve, we've got our Mount Rushmore. We've done the Atlanta Hawks. We've done Brooklyn. A lot of a lot of people reaching out to me, going, "Evan, how did you not have Draz and Petrovic? You had Petrovic in there." Um, yeah, Derek Coleman. I'm on the big bucks, baby. That's right, Derek Coleman. They said was an interesting pick from you because then he said he only had a couple of good years. Yeah, but but this is this is one of the big ones. The next franchise on the list, the Boston Celtics. Yeah. You know, you can't think about the Celtics without thinking about the Lakers. And I know that they're way down the alphabet, but oh my God, the Lakers. How are we going to come with a Mount Rushmore? How are we going to pick? Yeah. Yeah. I got my coach in here. We're in my, we're in my office. So I got my first coach over here and I'm bouncing <laughs> stuff off of it. But well, how are you going to come up with the top four Lakers? Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh, that's, that's, for me, that's pretty easy. You've got Nick Young, Alex Caruso. <laughs> <laughs> you get your unmade bed on one side and your crack pipe on the other one. <laughs> oh, hey man, I'm not one of those white, white crackers. So how are we doing this one? We going like we're gonna work our way. You're you're gonna give me your four and then I'll give you my four. Okay. All right. I'm gonna go number four and I'm gonna work my way down, of course. Yeah. Or should I just go one to four? Because just give me a, just give me a four, and it doesn't have to be in, it doesn't have to be in any order. So Mount Rushmore, they're all even anyway. Okay, I'll go one to four. Like this is my number one. Okay, is Larry Bird. Yep. My number two is Bill Russell. Yep. My number three is Paul Pierce. Yep. And my number four is Kevin McHale. Ooh, I like it. I like it. That's right. I like it. So I can't really argue with that. I'll, um, the, the, the top two, I think, uh, are locks. Um, so 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at Boston, I mean, they had so many great players that play for them. I've, I've done a little bit more. I've done a little bit more of the analytic side of things. So my core is a little bit different to yours. Yeah. So my number one is the same. Larry Bird is by far the greatest Boston Celtic of all time, in my opinion. Number two is Bill Russell. By far. Larry, I, I think Larry is. I think Larry is just on that tiny half step better than Bill Russell. I mean, people people sleep on Larry, and when you hear Magic Johnson oh, say. People, when when you hear people like Magic Johnson say, "What do you, what do you?" <laughs> my boy in the background, he's got, he said, "What about Bob Cousy?" <laughs> Bob Cousy, his ball handling is dated. Yeah, I want to see a I want to see a video of Bob Cousy and a video of Kyrie right next to one another. <laughs> Go ahead, this is hilarious, man. Yeah. All right, so. Um, I've lost my I've lost my train of uh, my train of thought now. You said Larry Bird, and you said a, a far distance between him and Bill Russell, and I was like, "Come on, man! It can't be that far of a distance." The man maybe not that far. But championships in twelve years. Larry Bird, number one. Mm-hmm. Bill Russell, number two. Okay. Number three. This is where the kind of stats come into it, and just for my, I've done a bit of YouTubing about. Um, Kareem actually spoke a lot about this guy as well. I got John Havlicek at number three. Come on, man. John Havlicek. John Havlicek at number three. Yeah. John Havlicek couldn't score 20 points in the NBL, much less the NBL. <laughs> Hondo. Man, if you did you see highlights of him? Yeah. He was a he was a great role player. You know, and a role and, player. A role player. You know what? You were a role player. If you think of Javi, get the hell out of here. Hondo was like this. He you, would win the six man award every you year. You were the star of the Sydney Kings, man. That's like me calling you a role player. Have a check, man. This was a great team. Listen, listen to why this was a great He went team. to Ohio State. I thought you would have been happy. Yeah, so did Greg Odom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, but this this is how great that team was. Like a team. They've got um Dave Cowens. No one consider him one of the greatest. Um, Don Nelson, John Havlicek, yeah, JoJo White, and I can't think of the other starting five guys. Havlicek is the Celtics' all-time leader in points. Yeah, because he played the most games, probably. Yeah, T- averaged twenty-one points per game, sixteenth all-time in points in the NBA. Yeah. Okay, this is why he's on the uh, my Mount Rushmore. He averaged. 29 points per game in the 70 71 season. Yeah. This is this is why I've got him there. Okay. okay. And I, listen. You know okay, I'll give you that one. Number four. No, I'll give you no, I'll give you that one, Evan, because I've got um Kevin McHale on there. And Kevin McHale was a role player for the Celtics as well. So, a very good one, just like how Havlicek was. And Kevin McHale was a sixth man in early in his career. He was, he was, yeah. he was. So, so I've got, you know that's you know, that's apples and oranges right there. Apples and oranges. So I give you John Havlicek. You give me Kevin McHale. That's it. I didn't have Kevin McHale in my top four. I had him five. I had number four of the truth. I had Paul Pierce. Yeah. I think he carried that team for so long. Yeah. Um, it's in, I'm so glad that obviously he got that little bit of help towards the end of his career with Kevin mm-hmm. Garnett and Ray Allen and Rondo. And he yeah. got his championship. But, man, that guy was a great player. Obviously, uh, he was um, – did he play in Cali? Where, where was what college did he go to? He went to Kansas, but Kansas. 
but he's from born, born in California, right? He's from LA. He went to Inglewood High School. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you can't not have the truth in there, but yeah, I think Havlicek and Mikhail, you can kind of swap in there. But I mean, so many great players. I mean, you could. Do, do you? I mean, how far do you have Kevin Garnett up there? I mean, he, was, he probably had about three good seasons up there. You could probably have him in your top ten. Yeah. Um, you know, when we get to the Lakers, and this is probably what you know how you say I'm a little partial to the more modern players, and I'm a little partial to, you know, the players that I watched when I was a kid when I first was introduced to the NBA. It's, you know, nostalgia. You know, of like watching Dr. J and watching, you know, even Jerry West late in his career. Um, I I wasn't um, old enough to really enjoy Elgin Baylor, uh, but you know what I enjoy about the the old game and what and you touched upon it when you said that you like the fact that Jordan was a bull. You know, he was drafted by the Bulls. You know, and he wanted to make the Bulls great. He wanted to be a team that. He wanted to be a city and a team that, you know, like they were proud of their team, you know, like that they were going to be one of the great teams in the NBA one day. He was he wanted to be a part of that, you know, as Kobe Bryant, as Larry Bird, as Magic Johnson. So I'm when I go to my Mount Rushmore's, I'm usually going to lean towards somebody who is played on that one team, if not their whole career. Like I'm talking almost the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know we had Dr. J for uh the nets yeah um but he can also be he could also be for philly to be honest as well yeah well he didn't have a choice you know like the nets to play in the nba yeah they had to sell dr j to be able to play in the nba yeah so he didn't have a choice it wasn't like you know nowadays we're like yeah man i'm going to the highest bidder you know like no disrespect to kevin durant this is the modern day the guy's got to feed his family he's got to beat his feed his empire he's got to promote his brand, whatever it is that these, you know, this yeah. generation talks about, you know, he's a great player and he will be, if he is not one of the greatest all time, what he, what position is that that he plays? Is it a shooting guard? Is it a small forward? What is that? Yeah. 6'11 guy that can, that can shoot it from anywhere. Oh, uh, get a shot off against anybody, get to the rim on anybody, you know, like, what is that? But, um, you know, but he's, he's, he's not a, He's not loyal to one franchise, you know, he's loyal to himself. He's not loyal to a city. He's not, you know, it's a different era. It is know? a different era, it is a different era. And talking about loyalty, I think, you know, this is probably where we're going to wrap it up. Um, and just, I want to finish on that. I, I want to finish because it was, it was just incredible to watch. And I am going to watch all those, um, you know, all those episodes one to 10 again. And maybe we'll talk about the top 10 moments next week about the last dance. But one moment that really stuck out to me and, the, and we're talking about guys that we would have seen in photos, in videos, and we've never noticed them up until now. But guys like Gus Lett, who Ooh. was Gus Lett, Jordan's uh, head security guard. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who got sick. And these are guys that we would have, we've seen so often. And the fact that, you know, I love seeing that personal side about Jordan and the fact that he used these guys. They're almost like his big brothers and he could feel comfortable and, they had his back and uh, it was later um, found out after they didn't mention it in the documentary, but you know, Jordan paid for all these medical bills. Um, and yeah, I think these guys were kind of crucial to helping Jordan because he didn't have a father. He didn't have an, uh, the older brother with him the whole time. And these guys, you know, he could be himself around. And it was good to see that 
that side of, of, of MJ because I think so many times guys can get caught up in their own superstardom. But that, uh, you know, that was really good to see. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that is, you know, that's what makes the documentary so special. You know, like you can draw, you can remember things in your head and then, you know, they touch upon it and throw so much into so much emotion, so much of the backstory, so much of the struggle, you know, into those little pictures that you have in your head. And then it just blossoms even more, you know, when they add all those things and all those little side stories. And, you know, I didn't know that, that he paid his medical bills. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's great that he had people around him like that to help him get through, which would have been an impossible lifestyle. You know, he's a prisoner in his own fame. You know, he could only go to, um, he could only pretty much go to the golf course and his hotel room, you know, outside of basketball and, you know, which is a shame and it's good that he had, um, you know, he had good people that he could count on and he could trust around him uh, to where he could just be himself. Yeah. Well, great way to finish it, Steve. Um, like I said, I don't know what I'm going to do on Monday nights anymore. I'm going to find something else to watch. I've been really getting into uh, Peaky Blinders. Have you ever seen it? I've seen the, like a, the trailer for it. It looks good. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, if you if you want a series to watch, check that out. It's on Netflix. Um, yeah. I mean, now there's, I know there's a couple of little sports documentaries coming out, but Fingers crossed sports will be back this year. Um, we're going to keep having fun, obviously, with our podcast and our Mount Rushmore's, and we'll have various top tens and all sorts of interesting content to bring you guys. So keep listening out, um, you know, on your favorite podcast catches for that. Uh, make sure you keep checking out Instagram as well, um, at Inside Slam. We'll continue to be updating you guys on all the, the biggest stories. Lots of fun little tribute pieces as well so make sure you follow our stories on that but uh steve um i'll let you get back to your closet and um i'll probably see you out on the golf course very soon all right man okay there you guys need a couple more strokes i'll catch you later <laughs>